1: recording
0: so we're recording so we're actually recording this like right before thanksgiving because we we have our um long well-deserved long winter naps coming up this week um so we busted our little butts and uh got the paper out early it's only tuesday this week tomorrow's wednesday it's, it's like leading into thanksgiving so we uh we thought we would look ahead a week and get our podcast in the uh, in the bank
2: and can I just say, too, this is like my favorite little holiday break, just because it's it's like, what does it end up being like five days? Yeah, but it's not. I mean, it's Thanksgiving, so you have that right in the middle of it. But, yeah. you don't. Have, you know, for us, we don't travel or anything on Thanksgiving. So um, it's just a nice little it is a nap. Yeah, it is. It
0: is just like a little nap. So say the name of the holiday again, because it's so Pittsburgh the way you say it. Oh, it's Thanksgiving.
2: I've, I've i've noticed this lately that i'm the only one who pronounces it that way around here
0: yeah my brother-in-law is also from pittsburgh and he says thanksgiving so every every time yeah. i spend thanksgiving with him i think of you yeah and how do you say it thanksgiving bill okay. how do you say it
1: the, the correct way thanksgiving
0: and brendan i'm sure does too
1: turkey day there you <laughs> go. gobble gobble
0: it's always been thanksgiving,
2: thanksgiving for me
1: yeah
0: but it's also fun like with this holiday I always love it cuz yeah I mean like the weekend was so stressful cuz I had to get the art section ready to go on Monday which is a little earlier than normal and so I just worked all weekend um but it's sort of like getting your homework done early you know what i mean like yeah <laughs> it's like you earn your your uh, day off
1: your summer off yeah but you're but you're so tired by the time you get the break that that you just have to sleep through it yeah it
2: it stunk on monday night doing the work in the evening Mm-hmm. to get ahead for Tuesday morning. But then Tuesday morning was really nice, not scraping up against deadlines for a change.
0: But, you know, the problem is then because we're taking Thursday, Friday as our holidays, we have another issue to put out next week, which I, so, I regret to find everybody. It's going to be <laughs> so much worse. And it's just like always, you know, this is, I don't know if this is unique to our business, but whenever you go on vacation, it's like you have to literally do the job before you go on vacation, you know? Like I totally. literally have to write every... Thing that's going to run in the you know 8 10 12 days i'm not going to be there so it's not like you ever really get out of it um that much right definitely yeah Oh, whatever so we'll stop complaining now because we're thankful <laughs> there's a lot of people who don't have the, the holiday right. off, I'm or sure. a lot of people that don't have a job cursing us right now so there we go We need to give thanks for what we have I'm giving thanks for Bill Sutton, who introduced the podcast, top of the podcast. Top of the podcast was Bill. Hey, Bill.
1: Hey, Annette. I'm Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor of the Express News Group.
0: And also here's Brendan O'Reilly, sitting in a foggy background. You got your background all blurred. I don't know where you are.
3: I could be anywhere.
0: You really could. And everywhere.
3: Hi, Annette. Hi, everybody. My name is Brendan. I am the deputy managing editor.
0: And we have Joe Shaw back from a very quick trip to pittsburgh not for not yes. for thanksgiving but for very a little quick. road trip so welcome home and i'm
2: i'm in celebra- celebratory uh mode today because the steelers fired their offensive coordinator today so that's every steelers fan is rejoicing at the moment so hi i'm joe joe shaw i am the executive and he has
0: another thing to be for thankful for which is the pittsburgh latest yeah not so much no.
2: well, you, you on, know
1: I mean, buffalo bills did the same thing last week and they ended up winning this past week so it, it worked out for uh, worked out for them yeah so maybe
2: we noticed we, we noticed everybody's pointing to that and saying look at the bills they fired the coordinator and put up 30 points and the then court. there was
0: another ambulance on the field taking a player away i saw there Which was never Monday a good night, thing yeah. when it comes to the
1: bills yeah but I, I think he was i think he was okay they he didn't they didn't take him away from the stadium. They they just took him back to the um, to the locker room and I think he uh he was okay. Precautionary.
0: And he was wiggling fingers in the
1: shot I saw, so
0: that's good. Yeah. So, all right. And I'm Annette Hinkle and I'm the Arts and Living Editor at the Express News Group. And uh we're just gonna kinda riff it today and just talk about various things. That seems to be kind of a fun, a fun way to go. Just editor's choice. Editor's choice. I'll just kind of talk about that way we're not um trying to come up with enough to say for an entire hour, we can just do little snippets of what's in the paper. Um, so who wants to go first this week? Joe? <laughs> you got the look of don't pick on me. So
2: you're going first. Oh, all right, I'll go first. I thought the the story I found most interesting ended up being the lead story in the Western edition of the Southampton Press. Uh, and that was last week, five people were indicted for a smuggling uh, scheme at the Suffolk County jail up in Riverside. And what I found fascinating about this, uh, just in the sort of, you know, I like movies about heists and things like that. So I find it all kind of interesting, but so their plan, which was scuttled by the way, the, the investigators got wind of it and were able to stop it. But their plan was to smuggle in fentanyl, And the way they did that was they took liquid fentanyl and they mixed it with another substance. What was it? It was, uh, uh, I'm trying to look now. What, what What was it, Bill? Acetone or something like that, I think.
1: Yeah, I think it was acetone.
2: I think it was, yeah, it was acetone. So they mixed it with acetone and they sprayed it onto legal papers and let it dry. And then they gave those legal papers to apparently an unsuspecting attorney to take to somebody at the prison who was an inmate
3: wow. in an
2: envelope, like four or five papers in an envelope. And this attorney didn't know that these papers were soaked with fentanyl. And the whole, the whole scheme was that they were going to take these papers, cut them into credit card sizes and sell them in the jail. And I assume then you could, I don't know, soak down the, the pages and, and, And extract the fentanyl that way, which is
1: you you could just you could just eat it like like old um, acid blotter paper LSD yeah
0: you could probably burn it burn it too and like
1: smoke it maybe
0: maybe maybe. or soak
2: it and inject it I guess if if you have an ability to anyway it was twenty thousand such a versatile drug yeah (laughs) twenty twenty thousand dollars worth of fentanyl um that would have gotten through that way and and you know the the point we had there was a big press conference uh that our tom gogola went to is it gogola or gogola you know like thanksgiving gogola <laughs> so it's it's gogola <laughs> um the district attorney ray tierney and errol T- uh, how do you pronounce the sheriff's last name is Tulin. 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 Yep. Um, I've only ever seen it in print. I don't know that I've ever heard it said out loud. Now that I'm thinking about it, they had a press conference at the jail in Riverside on November 16th, and Tom was there. And you know, they were rightfully sort of um, taking a bow for that. I think it's a great, it's a it's a really interesting story, and it demonstrates how people are t- doing anything to get drugs into the jail from time to time. And they pointed out that there've been almost 400 overdose deaths on long island um because of fentanyl right um, during i think their term in office um and of course fentanyl they said is something like 20 times more valuable in jail than it is on the streets now so you know the inmates have a reason for taking a chance like this but uh what a what a scheme that is to to say hey I need these legal papers and um good you know good on the the jail officials for figuring out a way to stop
0: that I wonder how they figured out it was happening Yeah they,
1: they were listening into phone conversations which are not private and you would think that the inmates would
3: it's um know
1: happen. that and and understand that and they got wind of it that yeah. way through uh through those phone conversations kind of helped them to uh um, figure it out.
0: And of course, the really crazy thing is like, since they, you know, they cracked down on pharmaceutical Oxy, um, which kind of has spurred the market for fentanyl, but unlike Oxy, which is, you know, when you get it through a pharmacy is actually measured and specific, like nobody knows how much fentanyl is in anything because these people are just making it in their basement or whatever. So, you know, who knows if, if those sheets had gotten cut up, how powerful they were. And if you would have had, you know, another Several dozen deaths based on overdoses, just because it's just so impossible to measure that drug, you know.
1: Well, I, it's a good thing that good thing that attorney wasn't handling those papers and decide to.
0: Or licking his fingers, you know, like yeah, going I through it. I imagine
1: just touching them would have would have. um
0: Was it? Who, was it Ray Tierney? When we had Ray Tierney on, didn't he say there's another drug out there that's more of like a um, compound that's even like twenty times more potent than fentanyl too? Right? Remember, he brought that up.
2: What struck me about this, this scheme too, was, I thought it was interesting, an inmate at the jail contacted a woman on the outside. And as you said, they were listening in, I think to the conversations, but that woman then contacted, in order to get the fentanyl, she contacted someone who's an inmate at a jail upstate yeah. to arrange getting the fentanyl. So these guys are, are conducting these these deals from behind bars in, in some cases. Um, I, the whole story was just fascinating to me. It's just, it's one of those sort of high crime stories that, that you don't hear a lot about all the time. Uh, we have a jail in our midst and and these things probably happen more often than we realize.
0: It also brings up the whole point is like, do jails really rehabilitate people or do they just teach them how to be more effective criminals yeah. because they, they build their network out and they learn new tricks and new ways of getting things done, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I actually have, this might be a good segue because I actually have a story that's going to be running in the issue on the 30th. Um, what's up,
1: Sophie?
0: Okay. Hi, Sophie. <laughs> Say hi. Say hi to Joe and Bill and Brendan. Hello. Ah. Sophie's baking today. She is making pie after pie after pie. Nice. Oh, nice. It's a good thing.
1: I bet it smells good there. Is she making her own crust?
0: Oh God, yeah. She's doing serious homemade crust, right? Yeah. We even put a little cheddar cheese Ooh. in the apple.
2: This is British British baking <laughs> show type deal.
0: We were I just talking. about yeah. well, She's cooking. she's actually watching that as she's cooking. I told her I told her that you love this show. Yeah, Jen, so. it's
2: addictive. It really is. Yeah. We're watching the new season right now. I think the deaf girl's going to
0: win. I'm working my way from the start because I haven't watched it before, but I started like two weeks ago and I'm like three seasons in.
2: If, wow. It feels like they're, it's either going to be her or Dan. The good looking guy that everybody loves so much.
0: Not that far in yet? No, I haven't gotten to the new season. Too. She's not at the new season yet. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, okay. Spoiler alert.
2: I'm going chronologically.
0: Get back to Bacon. So coincidentally, in this this um, in the November 30th issue, I'm, I have a story about um, a, one of the documentaries that we'll be screening at the Hampton Stock Fest. And it's called 26.2 to Life. And it's set in San Quentin prison. And um, the concept is, this documentary is about prisoners who have joined a, a thing called the Thousand Mile Club. And they basically run a thousand miles, but they have to run it in the prison. So it's just this little kind of crappy track you know like it's got all hazards it's uneven and all that so it's a really difficult place to run but um this documentary is great so basically a a, a guy came in uh, out from the outside a volunteer who's you know 70 year old um runner and he started this club and he's basically training some of the inmates to run a marathon which they do within the prison the 26th too but it's more about how just like having that group of um prisoners because you know prisoners are very self-segregating. They tend to, you know, hang out with ethnic groups and there's not a lot of mixing. But this, you know, the idea of a running club, it's like it's a very individual sport. So it's not like there's team rivalries. It's like it's all about improving yourself. And it's just kind of cool how it, it within the prison you see how it's it forms new friendships. Guys who have been in there for 35, 40 years suddenly like are very focused and um it's just a really inspirational kind of um, film. So that's going to be screening at the Hampton Stock Fest, which opens November 30th and runs through December 6th in Sag Harbor. It'll be running at the Sag Harbor Cinema and also at Bay Street Theater. And there's a lot of very cool documentaries. Um, the one that I, I did a story about in the um, November 23rd issue is a, a film a documentary by Heather Dune McAdam, who's uh, she's lived out here forever. Like I knew her, she used to work at Bay Street Theater and she's a writer. Her interest is really stories from the Holocaust, and she wrote a book in the mid '90s called Rena's Promise, and it was about a, a young woman who had gone into Auschwitz with her sister, very, very early on. And amazingly enough, they survived Auschwitz. And it was the whole story of Rena and her whole ordeal, of getting her sister through it. So Heather, a few years ago, wrote a new book that, ironically, is about a lot of the women who were on the same transport to Auschwitz. In um, and the book is called Nine Nine Nine: The Extraordinary Young Women of the First Official jewish transport to auschwitz and now it's now it's a movie 999 the forgotten girls of the holocaust is what the name of the film is but it's based on her book it's kind of a wild story so it was like in the 1942 in slovakia they had a very anti-semitic president who had been a catholic priest um but he was actually enacting more strict rules on the jewish population than even germany was at that time and um and working with the germans this president of um of slovakia Um, agreed to round up a lots of unmarried Jewish young women and ship them. And the girls thought that they were going to go work like at a German shoe factory or something. And they needed money badly because like a lot of the Jewish businesses had already been taken over. And so the families were struggling. So the Jewish girls who were ages like 16 to 35, all unmarried thought they were going to go work in a factory for a few months and then would come home. And of course they found themselves in Auschwitz and they were literally the first, transport to Auschwitz after maybe some male prisoners they were the first women in in Auschwitz and they ended up being there for three four years or more um so what Heather did with her with her book and her film is she started tracking down the survivors of this of the, these girls who were on this first transport and so her her movie which is screening at the Doc fest on December 5th at 8 p.m um is that film, and it's all about, it's all about talking to some of these women survivors from um, that first transport in Auschwitz. And what is, what is the 9, 999? Ah, interesting, yeah, that's what I kept wondering, and she doesn't explain hmm. that until further into the film, but it turns out that um, Himmler, who of course was like the architect of the, the concentration camps, had, had a weird obsession with the occult, mm-hmm. and with numbers, and things like that, and he was very specific that he wanted 999 girls really? on that first part so they kind of so she follows these these girls from this small town in eastern Slovakia and they're actually taken by bus first to like a more um main city town and they're held there until um a total of 999 are collected from all over Slovakia and then they're all put on to the cattle car mm-hmm. to go to Auschwitz and again they think they're going to Germany to work in a shoe factory and they, they pull up to you know Auschwitz and are marched in and it's just like And they didn't even at that point, they didn't even have like the striped uniforms at that point. They were they forced the girls to put on uniforms of dead Russian soldiers that were still, you know, they didn't they were too big. They were caked in blood. It was just gross. So and and the interesting is, so Heather, you know, can you imagine trying to make a documentary about this 80 years after the fact? It's not easy. And, you know, there's some historic footage. But Heather was saying that there's not that much footage of female concentration camp prisoners. That was the very, very little of that, maybe because it. I don't know, like the, the I not that just wasn't something that was documented well. So she ended up finding a Polish artist, this woman who's like an amazing like portrait artist artist, and she had her basically do portraits of the descriptions that the women gave. So you know the portraits of the of the women wearing the Russian uniform, since there's no photos or footage of that. So it's kind of cool how she did this documentary. She relied on some animation and a lot of like prisoner artwork and family photographs from the girls that still existed and that sort of thing. But I believe she talked to about six survivors in this film, which she made, I think she started making it in like 2012 or so, and then shot all the way up to about the, like right around the pandemic or a little later of those six, there's only two of the women still alive. Wow. So kind of key. And, uh, and and most of them were over in Europe because Heather was living in Europe at the time. So she's like, she realized for $14, she could fly from like England to Slovakia, you know, on, you know, Eurojet or whatever, like super cheap. So she was able to like go and interview a lot of these women um, where they are now living. Some of them were in Canada. Oh, that's Fascinating. That's an
2: amazing story.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of, it's, and, and Heather is like such a, she's a local fixture. I mean, she's been here for. Years, I think she, she used to live in maybe North Sea or Sag Harbor. Now she's in believe in Hampton Bay. So is in Hampton She will be at the um, at the talk on December fifth at eight p.m. and they're giving they're giving that film the Human Rights Award.
2: Mm.
0: Can I just say too that the Doc Fest doesn't get enough credit? I
2: feel like mm-hmm. that's such a great festival that has really grown on its own momentum over the years and and started small and was really just a labor of love. And how many years is it now? Is it marking 16, 16 years?
0: And they do, you know, it's really nice. Is they they use the 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 Bay Street Theater and Sag Harbor Cinema, and um, as Jackie LaFaro, who's the founder of um, of the festival, they don't they don't schedule against themselves, so you don't have to pick you know oh i want to go to this one but it's at the same time you literally if you had the stamina you could attend all 30 films that they're going to be screening over the course of the week and not have any problem you know making from one to the other so it'll be it'll be fun so yeah it runs about a week and um they have like dance films and environmental films they're doing um a film about an artist that vendors made, and it's a 3D film, so they had to get special equipment for that. So you have to wear the 3D glasses. So it's a it's a 3D film about an artist, um, and um, they're sh- they're showing a film about Rose Styron, who was William Styron's widow. You know, the writer who wrote *Sophie's Choice*. Um, and um, there's so much to choose from that they're also doing a cool thing called um it's breakfast and bites it's on saturday and sunday morning at bay street theater at 10 a.m the weekend of the festival which is december 2nd and 3rd but for the cost of the movies ticket you can get like bagels and danish and coffee and watch shorts so it's a short film program so you get there at 10 a.m it's 15 bucks you get breakfast and you get um a whole lineup of short films so sounds like fun that's a good deal and, and you know, the other thing that's nice is that the festival pass isn't that expensive. You know, it's a couple hundred bucks, but you could see everything. So.
1: Local support comes from the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Raro. In these trying times, working full-time for their clients and the public interest, providing strong advocacy and attentive counsel, Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com
0: 27 Speaks is brought to you by Sag Harbor Books and Southampton Books. Independent bookstores located in the villages at 7 Main Street in Sac Harbor and 16 Hampton Road in Southampton. They buy books, collections, libraries, individual titles. Very easy process. They handle everything. Do you have books to sell? Call or email today or visit SouthamptonSacHarborBooks.com. Now hiring booksellers at both locations, including office positions. Who's next? Brendan, do you want to jump in on uh, what the topic?
3: So I want to talk about something that we haven't written about yet, uh, but we'll tackle it in one way or another soon. And it's one of my topics that I bring up a lot here, which is open meetings law slash freedom of information. And it almost sounds silly, but if you're a journalist, it's the kind of thing that catches your eye and you care about and you kind of want to explain to the people why they should care about it. But at a recent Southam village board meeting, it was pointed out that the board members were passing notes in class, which is not something that you're supposed to do at a village board meeting. And it actually had this cascading effect of me realizing all of these different violations or potential violations of state law that was happening there. So, There was a public comment period going on and the mayor of the village writes down a note on the back of a piece of paper and you could see the piece of paper getting passed left and right up on the dais between the board members and board members read it. A couple of them added something and it gets passed around again. So, Do you like me? Check yes or no. (laughs) (laughs) So when you see something like this, yeah, you know, Was it a yes or no question they were answering? Was it some sort of a survey? Were they writing long notes or was it just yes, no? What's your opinion on this? Here's the thing. When you have a quorum of a board deliberating in real time, that constitutes what's supposed to be an open meeting. Meaning that the village residents and the press and anybody who cares to join can watch and see and read and hear what's going on. When you have an open meeting, they haven't called an executive session, which would be an exceptional open meetings law under certain circumstances. You can't just have a conversation on paper that the public is not privy to. It's the same thing as saying, you can't have a a live text message exchange or a chat room exchange where the board members are discussing village business or deliberating you can't have a conference call where you don't call a public meeting and invite the public to attend. You're just not allowed to meet. And you're not allowed to have conversations in real time with a quorum of the board. One board member can speak to another. But as soon as a third board member out of five shows up, you have a quorum. And that conversation needs to be happening in public. Mm -hmm. So here is a conversation happening out of the eye of public. That's violation number one of either the letter or the spirit of the open meetings law that we have in New York State. Second, I submitted a freedom of information request for that piece of paper for that note that memo that, you know, whatever you want to call it that piece of writing that was taking place at that meeting. And without a lot of delay I received a response from the village clerk saying that they don't have the record. So. This is violation number two. Under freedom of information law, public documents are subject to a presumption of access. If someone's not going to give you a public document, they have to tell you exactly what exception to the freedom of information law they are using in order to withhold a document. I did not get this document that was generated at a public meeting. This strikes me as a violation of freedom of information law on top of the open meetings law violation.
0: Can I ask you a quick question Pardon? before you sure. go on? I wonder, sure. if So if that note was only passed from one to another board member, would that not have been something subject to open meeting because it wasn't seen by a quorum of the
3: board? That might be an excuse to say it didn't violate open meetings law, except for the fact that it was happening during a public meeting. So I think anything said during a public meeting is supposed to be public, even if it's uh, written down. The... The issue is, even if the mayor just wrote that down as a note to himself and didn't show it to anybody and no one else contributed by adding to it, that would still be a public document because a public official taking notes at a public meeting is a public document.
2: Now, the other big question here is, let's pretend for a second, this is a smoking gun and these are definitely violations and we can show that. One of the problems is there really isn't much fallout for that, is there? I mean, there's this, I, I was or a journalist in Pennsylvania, in Pennsylvania, there is a segment of the criminal code that actually comes into play that if you violate the open meetings law, it's actually a summary violation, I believe, that can be, I think it can become a misdemeanor under some circumstances, but it's actually a criminal violation that is not the case in new york there's there's no criminal code about open meeting stuff it's really just there's there's not much of a penalty to be paid here even if they did violate it
3: am i wrong so you can appeal a freedom of information request denial right and then if your appeal is also rejected you may then escalate that to the uh, suffolk county supreme court which is a state court despite its name and you could file what's called an Article 78, and you could say, the village told me no, I exhausted all my options with the village to get this document. I am asking the court to overturn the village rejection and demand that they release this document to me. Not very helpful when they say that the document doesn't exist.
0: Right, that's what I was going Yeah, straight. or that
3: they don't have it. It's hard to say Mm -hmm. that doesn't exist because there's a recording of the document being made, but the clerk can say, well, it's not in my possession. And that actually brings us around to the the third violation that exists. So uh, as, as background, I reached out to the Committee on Open Government, which is a New York state agency, and they mentioned in their reply that they are the advisory authority regarding the open meetings law and the freedom of information law. What they wrote back to me was to the extent that your inquiry is one of records retention, you may refer to the New York State Archives and its retention schedule for government records for guidance. So now I have to go to another agency and say, if somebody's taking notes in the middle of a meeting, uh, and potentially more than no, potentially a, a message being transmitted back and forth, do they have to retain it? How long do they have to retain it? So they have to turn it over to the village clerk immediately at the end of the meeting or only upon request so now we're not only getting into open meetings law freedom of information law we're now getting into new york state records retention law so that's real just a triple whammy uh the note from the committee on open government continues to say as agency records the notes you described likely should have been retained subject to the applicable archive schedule if the board failed to retain the record after the meeting you should contact new york state archives for guidance if, however, the board retained the notes, but thereafter destroyed the notes upon the receipt of your FOIA request, that would, in our opinion, be contrary to freedom of information law, section 89.8. And you know, you could just imagine what that is. Uh, if you ask for something, they're not allowed to just destroy it to tell you it doesn't exist. Um, i I'm not, I'm not suspecting that's the case. I don't think I asked for it and somebody tore it up. I think what happened is the meeting was over Uh, It either got tossed out or just got closed in a binder of um, whatever documents they walked away from that meeting. I don't know if the board members are apt to keep their agendas at the end of the meeting for any notes that they might have taken and bring it home, or if they just throw it out at the end of the meeting when they're done. But
0: what was the the topic of the discussion at the time that the note was being passed?
3: So this meeting had a public hearing regarding a law that would have doubled the term lengths for future board members from two years to four years and the second thing that was on the agenda that was not part of the public hearing but everybody wanted to talk about was a revision to the benefits that the members of the village board receive including both the benefits that they receive while sitting on the board and the benefits that they could receive after they've left the board. So they made some revision. So now if you're sitting on the board and you take health insurance from the village, you got to pay 5% into it. And if you are 62 and out of office, you have to put money into the benefits. If you're going to take them from the village, it could be as much as 30% if you have eight years of service or less than that. If you have up to 20 years of service or more, it, it comes down in cost, but it used to just be free. Upon turning 55. So they went in this direction that made the benefits package less generous to the village board, but at the same time, they increased their compensation by a significant amount. And they also added a provision where if you don't take the benefits from the village, you get a stipend as a reward for not taking the village benefits.
0: So you suspect, do you suspect that the note being passed was related directly to the discussion at hand?
3: that would be my suspicion but you know i have no way of knowing
0: but you know what this is a
2: reminder of brendan is many times journalism is like an iceberg used you know the public sees the the very end product and the tip the tip of the iceberg from things but there's so much work that goes on behind the scenes and sometimes something comes of it sometimes it doesn't but that work is still valuable um the work that you're doing chasing those kinds of things down does have value and even and it
0: may never have occurred to a board that you know little notes written to themselves are actually a part of the public record it's possible you know, i don't you know that's i wonder if they are even thinking that it might have been like let's all meet you know at the public house after this meeting and have a which meeting. would
3: be an open meetings law violation <laughs> so yeah. i hope that's not what they were planning <laughs> uh, um let's,
0: let's two of us meet at the public house after two at a time Two at a time. You guys sit at that and we'll sit at this end, but yeah.
3: So so Annette, they they should know better because particularly this board, uh, except for the one appointee that joined recently, they all went through open meetings law training that the previous mayor had offered a resolution that they signed on to that the relevant officials would take open meetings law training annually. And that happened because we gave them such a hard time about prior open meetings law violations where they were just discussing things in executive session that had no business being in executive session and and that's essentially what you get when you sue you what you get is you get a court that orders retraining yeah and the discussion is well why wait to get sued and spend all the money on attorneys to get ordered to do training, why don't you just volunteer to do the training? It sounds a lot simpler for everybody if you just agree to learn what the law is, so then you can no longer plead ignorance.
0: Hmm. I wonder if the board's nervous to see that you've asked for this little uh, note that was being passed around.
3: Well, it puts you in the sticky situation where you're told something doesn't exist or has not been retained or we couldn't find it because it's okay, well, now I have to appeal the village clerk's decision to the village's FOIL appeals officer. And the FOIL appeals officer for the village is the village board as a body. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the next email I have to send is one to all five board members, and then they have to essentially vote on whether they're going to uh, grant my appeal. Well, the appeal is that the document didn't exist. So how do I appeal it? A document that doesn't exist Mm -hmm. except they all know it existed because they all saw it and they wrote on it so then it becomes
0: shoot it up and spit it out at the end of them
3: yeah so are they going to write me back and say we actually didn't retain this we're sorry or are they going to say oh the the mayor found it in his binder and we're going to ship it to you so you could get what you want or are they going to put up a fight and say yeah we have it but it's our legal opinion that you're not entitled to it and i would say based on all the advisory opinions that i've gotten from the committee on open government already there is no legal argument to try to keep that private if they were discussing something that is subject to some sort of a privacy exception they should have had that discussion in an executive session where you get to have conversations that are in exception to open meetings law they should not have had that conversation at an open meeting in the middle of it
0: yeah Did you see, were you in person in the meeting or did you watch it on video?
3: I watched it on video.
0: So you can't freeze it and zoom in and read the handwriting.
3: I wish that the video was that clear. (laughs) They could have been cartoons, you know, and it's just one, it's one of those things where it's a matter of principle and not really a matter of what they were writing. They could have been writing something of public interest. They could have been writing of something that's going to be really boring. It could have been like, look at how good I am at illustrations. Maybe it was a game of hangman.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe somebody was
3: saying, geez, it's hot
2: in here. Can we get them to turn the (laughs) the heat down a little bit? You don't know what it could be. It could be anything.
3: Was
1: there takeout order?
0: Yeah.
1: Pepperoni and anchovies. Uh -huh. Uh
0: huh. Interesting.
1: But, but, but Brendan's right. That's not the point. The, the, the point, you know, there is a matter of principle that, that, um, that, that we should be able to see what was on that paper. If it was innocent and innocuous, great, then we're done. But the fact that they're saying that it doesn't exist, I think makes us a little more suspicious. Especially
0: because it seemed like it made its way down the entire board. It wasn't like it was just like, you know, pass me the water, you know, from one to the other. It was, it made through all
3: of them. So here's the thing and and you could tell me if I sound silly for doing it this way, but I could just call up the mayor and ask him what he was writing, and I could just call up the trustees and ask him what they were looking at, and they could all tell me it was something innocuous, and I could take them at their word at that, but I would like to see the open meetings law followed in the village. I would like to see the FOIL law adhered to, and now I even have this newfound knowledge that I have to make sure they're following New York State archive and retention law. So I want to go through the channels that exist and know that they're working and not just be like, hey, I saw you writing something down. Tell me if it was something nefarious or not, and I'll just take your word for it. And I'm not really suggesting that they were doing anything bad. Um, Like I said, it was probably a game of hangman, right? it's probably more likely that than that they were uh, confessing to uh, any crimes. Right. Um, But it's, it's an exercise of making sure that the law is being followed and that they are not just tossing their meeting notes after meeting when there is New York state law and plenty of precedent saying you have to retain these. And upon request, you must hand them over. There's a principle at stake here. And, you know, Public business is
2: complicated and it's not convenient for the boards by, you know, that's just, you know, I think public boards always sort of complain that it's hard to do business when you have to worry about the public all the time. Yeah, that's kind of the point.
0: That pesky public. Yeah.
3: (laughs) It's true. Well, actually, Joe, that occurs to me that we can go back and we could say that when they put on the agenda this healthcare plan and this benefits new compensation structure, it showed up on the agenda as a fully formulated plan. That's right. And everybody went there, showed up that day, and approved it the same day that it showed up on the agenda. Which means
2: there was a conversation at some point about what was going to be proposed, but that conversation took place away from the public. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so this is the problem. Maybe through some, a series of past notes at a previous meeting. Yeah, I
2: mean, the problem is this is a principle. And and if I, Brendan made the point earlier, if there is a board that should be careful because of the perception, it's that board because they have had issues for some time now where it feels like a lot
0: of business is being done
3: out of the public eye.
0: So we'll see. I guess there'll be a story about this forthcoming then. Is that right, Brendan?
3: We'll see. Um, I don't know how helpful the New York State Archives is going to be. And generally what they do is they just say back to you exactly what you already knew. Right. So you send an email out, you wait for a reply and the reply is like, well, yeah, duh. They're not supposed to toss out documents or take them home.
0: Yeah. And so the question is, will the board be forthcoming about what they were actually writing about? You know,
1: if If nothing else, then then this maybe is um, a shot over the bow to uh, to prevent similar instances from happening in the future by making them aware that that was um, inappropriate.
3: And I'm also not the only person who sent in a foil request for this. So even if we don't decide to take it that far, somebody else might watch the space. <laughs> Hi, this is Michael Wright. I'm a reporter for the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, and 27east.com. I cover East Hampton Town and follow important stories about the environment, including the coming South Fork Wind Farm, its impact on the fishing industry, and other water quality issues. We follow East Hampton Town and village government, and I'm asking the tough questions and providing you with important answers. My colleagues and I in the editorial department work hard as watchdogs for this community, but we can't do it without our subscribers. If you find the work we're doing valuable to you, please subscribe by visiting 27east.com forward slash subscribe. Thank you very much.
0: All right, Bill, you're up.
1: So my my story this week and, and this one um, touched my my heart a little bit. It was a story about an 11 year old kid, Roland Edgerton Warburton, who's a Southampton kid, and he has a form of autism, a brain disorder linked to autism called ADNP. And we had had his his mother, actually, Jeannie, on a a previous podcast a a year or so ago to talk about the disorder and efforts that the community takes to to address some of the limitations with that. But this is a story about community and a story about members of the Southampton Fire Department that came together to give um, Roland his very first ever birthday party at 11 years old and it, it started off uh fairly simply it was on, on november 5th his mother Jeannie, was just happened to be walking through south southampton village and came upon an open house event hosted by the fire department and she knew that uh, roland liked fire trucks so she called up his aide and um asked asked her to bring roland down to aggram Par- park where the um open house was taking place and he reacted well to to the fire trucks and they ran into fire chief Manny Escobar who they had met uh, previously and in conversation Jeannie let the chief know that Roland's birthday was was coming up in a couple weeks and that he had um, never had a party and she asked if she on on Roland's birthday could bring him by uh, the firehouse and, and just let him look at um fire trucks and stuff and the members of the fire department said well that's that's just not enough and and they decided to uh to get together and and call out the troops and in combination with genie throw him a party and and genie found him a costume that was a kind of a fire department uniform and uh, made some cupcakes for roland and the firefighters and um, went to the hampton road firehouse and they gave Roland tours and let him ride in a fire truck. And I had, I had spoken to to Jeannie on the phone a couple of days prior to his birthday. And she was a little nervous about it, but because of his condition, sometimes she doesn't know how he's going to react in certain situations. He's nonverbal and sometimes can, you know, can get uh, excited or or upset or whatever. So she was a little nervous about what was going to happen, but it turned into um a really, really neat event. And Roland was uh happy and enthusiastic and smiling and laughing and high-fiving members of, of the fire department. And um, you know, what, what struck me is is just the members of the fire department that they certainly didn't need to do this and this is certainly not part of their duties, but they heard that this this kid had never had a birthday party before and and they all just joined together to make it a very happy day for Roland and, uh, and his mother.
2: And I, I have to say, our Dana Shaw, our photo editor, got terrific photos. And one of them that's on the front page of the Eastern edition uh, of the Southampton Press is so heartwarming, because Roland is really beaming. And from what his mom says, that's not Typical. Typical. Uh, that, that is that is a moment that, that she captured that's, that's a really special moment. And I defy you to see that picture and not be moved by it. Um, that's a happy little boy. And those firefighters really made his day.
0: Even Dana said she was like crying and she's like, and I'm really cold hearted. I don't do that a lot.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, it was really powerful stuff. Um, uh, it's so nice. I have to tell you, it's really fun to tell stories like that too. Those are the fun stories to be able to tell.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Aww. Take it takes a takes a village. Mm-hmm. It really does. And um fire department. Yeah. Just uh,
2: This time of year, you know, they're they're out a lot with parades and things. And uh it's just it gives you gives you such a good feeling. Uh it kind of sets up the holiday season, I feel absolutely. like.
0: Excellent. All right. Well, we're on our way. It's almost uh December here, so
2: here we go. Buckle up.
0: God bless us, everyone.
1: 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com
0: Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude, Flute Music, is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you. Or go to jazzinspired.com. 27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27east.com, and sagharborexpress.com. Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts.